Hello, my fellow Extraordinary Americans. My name is Cosmos Dar, and this is Extraordinary America. What is Extraordinary America? Well, you see, America has always been about freedom, opportunity, and the pursuit of happiness. However, most Americans are not free when it comes to the financial front. Most Americans are suffering from financial slavery due to loss of jobs, stagnant wages, inflation, and debt. Wealth and income inequality is the norm now, and the middle class has all but disappeared. So Extraordinary America is about the abolition of financial slavery. It is about the financial freedom of the 99%. It is about the nation of immigrants and the descendant of immigrants restoring the extraordinary within themselves and setting themselves free. The path to financial freedom is through financialist education. It is through becoming entrepreneurs and investors on the light side. In this podcast, I interview fellow Americans who fought against the odds. Many of them came from humble beginnings to see how they did it. It is my hope through these interviews that the extraordinary within you shall awaken and that you will abolish financial slavery from your life and realize the American dream. Once again, welcome to Extraordinary America. Hello, my fellow Extraordinary Americans. Welcome back to the podcast. In today's interview, we have Maury David. Maury David had an education in electronics, advertising, marketing, and journalism, and has allowed his entrepreneurial nature to flourish. His music industry career started as a music teacher at age 16 and continued for many years. At age 21, he opened the most advanced recording studio in the Philadelphia area, in which he recorded top artists like Stevie Wonder. He then applied his knowledge of sound dynamics to custom design systems for all of the area's top discotheques. At 30, he owned a successful security distributorship and was recruited by manufacturers to design alarm equipment. He currently operates a security company where his innovative systems range from detection and reporting devices, access control, remote CCTV, computer networking, and commercial phone systems. As 11-year board director of HVAA, his marketing and fundraising efforts supported the activities of thousands of children. His involvement with the ESJF Foundation has helped raise over $3 million for breast cancer research. His passions range from helping children, raising money for charity, to playing music and writing. He has written multiple best-selling books under the pen name M. David, such as The Chase and The Ghost of Shepherd's Inn. His latest book, Cosmo, is currently on its way to become a major motion picture. Maury has also done multiple podcasts, webcasts, and TV interview shows. He's currently developing a series of uh, for the Blue TV Network where he will produce and co-host multiple shows addressing bullying, fears, dementia, the mindset of an entrepreneur, etc. He's a firm believer that the fear of failure would never interfere with pursuing a dream. I believe that he's an extraordinary American and I'm honored to have him on, on this show. Uh, Maury, are you there? I am coming here. I, my video should be right there. I am. How are you? Hey, Maury, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing terrific. It's a great day. The Phillies are on their way to win the world series. So I stayed up late last night watching them. It's, it's like a, a Rocky story. It's great. Well, I, I, I haven't, I haven't watched that. So I would be curious as to how the, how the game progresses. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. But anyhow, it's so nice to meet you. I've spoken to you many times. I've spoken to you many times and so nice to see your face. And, and I can't wait to answer any questions you might have about me. 
Yeah. Uh, actually, I wanted to know a little bit more about yourself. Uh, like, I know you're a serial entrepreneur. You've been in the music industry. You're a best-selling author. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, and how you got started? Well, you know, I I, I was kind of a strange child. You know, I, I love taking things apart to find out how they work. And I would always put them back together again. There may be a few extra components that I left that I couldn't figure out where those components went. But nevertheless, I, I, my entire life is examining things, taking them, taking things apart and putting it back together and trying to make it better. So, you know, I was a music teacher. I, I taught them uh, hundreds of children how to play the piano. I had a music school. Uh, I, I made radio commercials at age 18 years old. Um, I had a recording studio at age 21, uh, uh, when the discotheques started to evolve, I recognized that most discotheques, they used electricians who put in sound speakers, but they didn't know anything about sound dynamics. So I, uh, custom design systems for discotheques did that for a while, then went into the security business and realized that most of the manufacturers had no clue as to how their equipment should look in a residential application. They were predominantly made commercial grade equipment. So I helped them design residential equipment. I did that for many years, designed much equipment, um, was a distributor for a long time. And then I went into the custom alarm business where today I have many, many customers, high-end customers where we do remote viewing for police camera systems and fire systems or phone systems. It just goes on and on. But what was interesting is, you know, as we progress in life, especially somebody like myself looking to help to make things better, we start changing the way that we look at things. And I decided that I, I wanted to do more than just the discotheques and the alarms and things of that nature. So I started writing books. And my first book became a bestseller in three hours. <laughs> my second book became a bestseller immediately. My third book now, as you said, is on its way to be made into a movie. And while I'm working on that, I just finished the fourth. So I, my wife just doesn't understand why I can't sit back and relax, <laughs> but that's not me. I've been taking things apart, trying to make things better my whole life. And hopefully when we get finished with this podcast, we influenced somebody and, 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 and perhaps uh, gave them the, the purpose of themselves making themselves better. So, you know, we're going to do and fire people. And I thank you for, for asking the questions and allowing me to answer them. No, I, I have to thank you because there's like a lot of nuggets in there. Like you basically, <laughs> the entire career is about you finding the opportunities and then turning into a business and then monetizing it. And that's basically, it's a way of thinking, you know? So it's basically an entrepreneurial spirit that I feel like most people should have, like where you look at an opportunity and then you find out where, where the person needs help or where you can add value. And then you figure out how to run a business around it and then monetize it. And so, yeah. The, the biggest thing that prevents people from doing things is fear. Uh, I think we discussed this. So I had a phone conversation with you a while ago and we were just talking about fear. Um, you know, People have been taught to stay safe, be conservative, not go outside their, their box. 
And whenever somebody has an idea, generally speaking, there's always a person behind them telling them that they shouldn't do it because perhaps it's not a good idea or maybe you'll fail. I look at it saying, we'll never know whether it's a good idea until you try it. And what would be the worst that could happen? You made a mistake. Well, that's how we learn by making mistakes. That's a learning process. So it's not a failure to try something if it doesn't work out. It's a learning mistake. In fact, uh, Edison was asked when he was making the light bulb, the filament for the light bulb, he basically had a thousand failures. So they thought until they asked Edison, you know, about his thousand failures. And he looked at the interview person. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't have any failures at all. I figured out a thousand ways how not to make the light bulb. So if I ever fail, oh, it was a process eyes. to getting me to where I succeeded. So failure in many cases, you know, when we think of, of well, we don't want to fail, maybe we shouldn't do it. That really isn't a proper way of thinking. Proper way of thinking is let me try something. Let me do the best I can and let's see what happens. And people that do that, generally succeed they don't fail so a continuation of this uh, of this concept right so a lot of people you know most people have a fear of failure but especially when it comes to business there's a fear of financial failure it's almost existential and emotional so how would you, what would you tell the audience about how to overcome the fear of like losing all your savings trying to start a business in today's environment because that's a well, very general thing that most people have that's kind of interesting. If you speak to anybody that has wealth, they will tell you they never use their own money. Never. They always use somebody else's money. So it's the person that says, I put up my, I put up everything I have. That is the wrong way of conducting your business. What you should do is get your ideas in, 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 a, in a proper fashion where you can talk to somebody that would invest in you. Let them put up their money. So your job isn't to sit there and put up your home. Your job is to put up your passion, to, to properly put out a business plan that you can walk into a bank, that you can walk into an investor and say, listen, I studied this. This is how much this is going to cost to do. This is how much I'm going to make. This is a no-brainer. You can't lose if you invest in me. So that's basically how you should approach a business. You should never put up your life savings, ever. So when somebody says, well, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to lose all my money. Well, they're thinking incorrectly. I have never used my own money on anything. No, that's, that's a really important fundamental concept because, like, you know, a lot of people when starting out, like they're not starting out from a one percenter's mindset perspective. Like there, uh, there's like these different levels, right? There's a poverty level way of thinking and a middle class level way of thinking. So it's more of how do they transition from that, uh, that state to the one percenter state while overcoming the fear of failure? Because that's, that's ultimately the biggest test of life, right? That's it's correct. Just a, it's just like a metamorphosis. And it's, it's a mindset. You know, if you automatically say, well, if I do this, there's a possibility of failure. You have put in some negative energy in your mindset because in the back of your mind, you think you're going to fail. That's the wrong way of approaching something. In the back of your mind, you should think you're going to succeed. 
you should not worry about the failure because if you're always worrying about the failure, it's like a sports team that's so worried that they play defense all the time because they're they're afraid they're going to lose. So they constantly play defense. Well, if you play defense, you win. You have to play offense. But if you're so afraid that the other team's going to beat you, that all you care about is stopping them from beating you, how could you possibly win? Your mindset is defending yourself, <laughs> you know, and that's not a way of moving forward. No, I totally agree. But I think one of the you know, one of the excuses that a lot of people would give, and I, I want the audience to know that they should not have this excuse, is that their family and their friends are going to tell them, hey, you can't do this. Who do you think you are? And they'll basically put a lot of negativity. Like a lot of times our environment dictates who we are. And for most people, their environments are filled with poverty level way of thinking. Or like everybody, because like, they're, they're jealous that what if this person succeeds? You know, I'm going to lose my friend or something like that. What, what do you think a person should do if they're in an environment where everybody is against them trying to succeed? It's kind of like the crab bucket thing. <laughs> Where the, all the crabs are going to try to, because that's what happens, right? In most of the 99% and the 1%, the, it, a lot, large chunk of the 99%, if they find that their fellow member is trying to get to the 1%, they will try to bring that person down. Kinda well, like that's that. correct. Actually, I just finished writing uh, my latest book called Why Some People Can Fly. It hasn't been published yet. It's going through the processes. And I discussed that. You're absolutely correct. The time that we are born, our lives are controlled. We don't realize it's controlled, but you know, when you're a baby, you are born out of a womb, which is a form of a box. And the first thing a baby that you, the parent does to a baby is they swaddle the baby. They close their arms, put blankets around them to, to make them feel comfort. They shouldn't escape. Everything's fine. And as the baby grows, they're put in a different box, a crib. And then later on, they maybe get their own room. And then they go to school, but it's a, it's a group of boxes telling the child what to do. So the beginning stages of our life, everybody is telling us what to do and wants to watch out for us, wants to make sure we don't get hurt. And as we grow, even when we go to college, you know, they, they talk about risk. You know, we shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. Again, telling you not to do things. All right. So what happens is, we have a society of people that basically say, listen, you know, you shouldn't do anything risky. This is not because that's what they were taught. Don't do anything risky. So now when you have a person that's passionate about a project and they discuss it with their friends, their neighbors, their relatives, the, fir the first thing that their friends and neighbors or relatives do is say, listen, you, you, sh you shouldn't do that. You have a wonderful life. Why do you want to risk things? Now, it's for many reasons, just like you said. Number one, they may be jealous because they are watching you trying to go to the next level. And in reality, if you move to the next level, it shows them that there's something wrong with them. Why is it that you can move to the next level that they can't? So that's one reason why they try to tell you not to do it. They, they, they want you to stay at the level they're at. Another reason is they necessarily understand what your passion is. They can't, in their mind, envision that project working. Why? Because it's your idea. It's not theirs. So when they try to think of making them, making that idea work, and they can't make it work, they figure, well, if they can't make it work, neither can you. 
but that's improper because it's your idea, not theirs. So certainly they can't make it work. So that's another reason they can't picture it working. A, a third reason might be social dynamics. Sometimes, you know, we grow custom, accustomed to our lives. We, we live in a box. We, we make money. Everything's fine. At, you know, now when you take it to the next level, you're now entering a different realm. Are you putting your current life at risk? Do you want to? All right. So you now have to look at it and say, how can I move to the next level without risking what I have? Well, many people don't believe it can be done. So again, they tell you, don't do it. So with all these naysayers around, primarily 95% of the people just don't do whatever they wanted to do because they're talked out of it. And there's only a few that go ahead and say, wait a minute, you know, I'm going to do it and I'll play the cards and work out, oh, well, at least I have no regrets and I tried. Yeah, this is like one thing that makes me really sad is because a lot of people have so much potential, like a lot of good could have happened had they had the correct environment and they had, you know, there's a saying, there's that we're the five people we hang out with the most. But there are five people that they hung out with the most turned out to be people that were having a certain type of mindset and then they brought them down and they made them believe that they could not do it. But in reality, they couldn't do it. They just needed the correct environment to flourish. So yeah, this is a very important topic that we're talking about because most people's dreams could be attained if they just had the right environment or they did not listen to those naysayers. Well, you know, some, what I, the advice that I give when I mentor people is first of all, find people that can mentor you, that, that gives you positive input, negative input, find somebody that maybe went on to their level because they tried something on their life and they realized, wow, I did this, Find people they're around and just talk to them. You'd be surprised how people on the next level want to help you because they feel they're obligated. It happened to them and they want it to happen to you. So there's many ways of achieving the great American dream. All right. And that is number one, finding a mentor. It doesn't really have to be about the project you're working on, but find somebody that has this positive in your life that pats you on the back and says, I believe in you because you need that. That you need that. You need to wake up in the morning and realize that somebody cares that you succeed. So find that person. All right. Now, today, education is easy to access from Google to Wikipedia. Well, sorry, I have a problem pronouncing that name. Wikipedia, I think. Is that correct? You can educate yourself, not necessarily having four years of college to educate yourself, although there's nothing wrong with that, but you can educate yourself very easily today. So if you find the right person and you educate yourself and then figure out a goal and a game plan, you know, you just can't say, Hey, I want to be the best offer in the world. Well, maybe you have some talent, but you have to practice, you know, if you, if, if you have certain achievements that you want to, to break out, you have to understand what does it take to get there through education, through practice, through people. Money sometimes becomes an issue, but again, you have to learn how to present your plan to the proper people so they'll give you money. So, you know, 
we can achieve in America, especially, you know, we have the opportunity to much. And I, I talk to many people that have come from all over the world and they come to America. And the interesting thing about those people, they go after things more than the typical American. Because when they came to America, to them, this is the land of opportunity. So they go out of their way, basically has a job and works his life and comes home and watches TV. Uh, an immigrant, that's not their life. They want their life better. So, you know, I, I love talking to people that come into America because you can see their passion. All right. They just have to learn the system. And whatever we can do to teach them the system, they achieve the American dream. And I'm so happy that our, you know, America is built on immigrants naturally, but somehow typical people in America got a little lazy. And, and, I, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. They just got comfortable. Okay. They don't want it enough. And, 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 you know, that's what you have to do to, to go to the next level. No, I agree. Uh, I know myself that I came here as an immigrant and I noticed the contrast between other nations and America. And I was like, man, this is a place where opportunities can happen, like dreams can be made, you know, and uh, and I uh, I was trying to take advantage of that. I was trying to basically work and succeed uh, where, wherever, however way that that is possible. But it's more of like looking at the opportunities, like fine tuning. How can I succeed? Where can I add value? But it's it's interesting because you know uh, American identity is based on uh, on immigrants, right? Immigrant energy and it, and the immigrant energy is highly tied to the entrepreneurial spirit because the reason for that is because immigrants they come to a new land and they have to find a way to make it work. So right. the entrepreneurial spirit is more of like how do I make things work? Okay, I'm in a new area. I don't have I'm far outside the comfort zone. And it goes back to American history altogether, right? The first immigrants over the over the century, when they came over there, they had nothing. They had to figure out how to make things work, and I feel like that's like the foundations upon which America was made altogether, and that's what makes America so amazing in my eyes. And, and you know, we have to instead of promoting negative thoughts, we have to promote positive thoughts from the time that we're parents with our children. If our children make a mistake doing something, we have to say to them, you didn't make a mistake. You did great. What did you learn from it? We have to show them that, you know, they have the opportunity to do great things and we have to help them bring it out. Unfortunately, what happens in many places where parents, both parents are working, they, they, they don't, they're so tired when they get home and they're doing all the routines that they have to do to bring up their kids, but they don't spend the time to support them. They think they are, but in reality, they're just tired and they're beat up. And, and we have to figure out a way to take our children and to say, you can do this. We support you. You can be great in your life. You know, and my parents used to look at me and just say, what the heck is he doing next? You know, I, they, one day they would come and the doorbell wouldn't work. And my father would say, why isn't the doorbell working? And it's because I needed a part in the doorbell for a little invention I was making, <laughs> you know, so they were used to me doing crazy things. But, you know, to me, you have to work with children and you have to basically bring out their childlike dreams, because in reality, those dreams do come true. So speaking of that, right, Maury, you have been doing entrepreneurship like since you were a teenager and even before that, 
what was the motivating factor or the drive that made you think and act in a certain way, like even from the age of 16 onwards when you started your first business? Well, it was interesting. You know, when I was younger, six, seven years old, my, my parents had a piano and they, they, I had a, many piano teachers. And to be quite honest, I, I just didn't get it. I, I couldn't understand why I had to play the scales, why this was important, why that was important. And, and my parents were like, just, just practice. And, and for what? And it wasn't until I had a, a progressive piano teacher, he was a jazz pianist. And he was telling me that uh, there are no rules in music. And here, for the first four teachers I had, they were teaching me rules. And this guy's saying, there's no rules. It's whatever you want. And how is that possible? <clears throat> and he would play things. And I would say, where is that written? He said, it's written from my heart. It's not always the notes. And, and once I started to understand what he was talking about, I said, boy, this would be a great way of teaching the piano. <clears throat> so what had happened is I started teaching piano and I went to parents and I said, listen, if you have a child that doesn't want to play, I understand because I was that child. Give me the opportunity to teach your child and I will show you that your child could love the piano. And the parents were like, well, doesn't he have to practice? I said, leave it up to me. I don't want you to even talk to your child about practicing. So the first time I would sit down with that child, you could tell they, they didn't want to be, I, you know, I'm sitting on a bench with them. They didn't even want to play. And I would say to them, you don't, you don't really want me to be here, do you? And most of them would say, <laughs> I said, well, I'll tell you what, what song do you want? What song do you like? And they would mention a song and I would play it for them. And they liked it. And I said, want me to teach that to you? And, and most of them were shocked. They said, well, what about the scales? What about the other stuff? I said, I ah, forget that. I'm just going to, I'm going to teach you how to play the song that you like. Okay. I would show them and they would practice it on their own. And lo and behold, they're playing music. And their parents were like, what's going on? My son is playing music. And every time I would see them, I would say, listen, if you play that song properly, the next time I come, I'm going to show you another song. And after a while, they began to love to play the piano. What they didn't know is the function of the scales and all the things that you need to learn how to play, where it's actually built into the song itself. So by them playing the song, they were doing the scales. They just didn't know it. So what had happened? That was, I became known as the person that could like spark their child. And from that, I opened up a music school. I taught guitar teachers to teach the same way. And at 16, 17, I had a music school. So, and it all started from my realizing that learning has to come from love. You have to want to learn. You know, you can't force learning onto a person. If they want to learn something, they will really learn. But you have to go into their heart, not necessarily their mind. You know, the heart, actually, we, we, we think that our mind is what controls us. And science recently have found out that, no, it's your heart. I know it's a hard thing to understand, but they, science has said that your heart directs your mind what to do. So I actually noticed an interesting analogy in what you're saying. So the way you, uh, the way you got that child to play the music, right? And then the, there, and then you had the parents that were trying to teach them a certain way. It's very similar to how in the, Amer the American system right now, as we have it, the, the economic system is placed in such a way 
that most people are just like uh, slaves to the corporate world where they are being put as the like, cogs in a the wheel. They're just part of a machine. But the real American spirit is them doing what they want to do. They want to experience, they want to have their American dream and what they're passionate about. And a lot of people have, are disconnected from their why and what makes them passionate, what they actually truly love. And we could just nurture that on a national scale, just exactly like how you did with that child. It would just turn everything around, yeah. like where we encourage our fellow Americans to basically uh, do what they want to do, like experience their own American dream and show them how to do it. Then that would actually affect the economy in certain, in a well, much affects everything. In fact, uh, the movie that I'm making uh, is a stepping stone to doing just that. So when you're ready, we can discuss that. But yes, okay, I'm going to start a movement where we actually encourage children to follow their passions and the children will fix the world. And I know that's an odd statement to make. but No, it's I... not. Because, because yeah. it's the children that are the future of the country. Yes. Right? If you, have, you have to nurture the children. Like, they are the next generation. They are the future. Like, what thoughts and actions we put in the children eventually ripple out into the world over a period of time. Yes. And my long-term goal uh, is that we can actually help the children fix all the problems of the world. And within 30 years... We won't have global warming. We won't have issues with pollution. We won't have issues about wars. I know all this sounds a little off the wall, but it starts with a six-year-old. So whenever you're ready, I'll talk about that. But I, I don't want to jump in order. You may have certain things you, you want to ask me in a certain order. Yeah, I want to ask you a few questions before that. But yeah, yeah definitely going to ask you about that. Because that's like that's also like an important concept, right? I feel like in America, we need to instill in our children an entrepreneurial spirit. We got to get them to know what their why is, what they're passionate about, and then connect that why into their, into like what they love and show them how to monetize it. Because if that happens, then they can't, then you're producing and you're basically creating products and services naturally. And then we need to, we need to encourage that instead of stifling it the way I feel is happening right now in this country. You're right. And we have to inspire. We have to make children believe in themselves. We have to bring out their imagination. Uh, you know, there were many people that created wonderful things in our world. A guy like Steve Jobs, you know, when he said, hey, I'm going to make a telephone, but it's also going to be a camera and it's also going to be a computer. It's also going to be this. And his own company, the engineers were like, what are you talking about? And in fact, he was fired from Apple because the, the people in charge of making money could not wrap their head around all his crazy ideas. And what they didn't realize is when they fired him, Apple product innovation stopped. And the actual people that loved Apple products waiting for the next best thing they got very upset because it was never the same. The same computer in a different color and a different size. But where was the innovation? They had to hire Steve Jobs back to bring back the innovation to Apple. And, and there's many entrepreneurs like that, that sometimes there's a disconnect between how they make money and their ideas. But that's okay. We can fix that. I went back in time to found, found 40 people that shaped our world. And the shocking thing 
was that most of the people were on the spectrum of autism. And wow. the reason that they were able to do what they did was number one, their perspective was different. Okay. They envisioned things differently. And then they hyper-focused, they shut off the outside world. They shut off the naysayers. Well, when you do that, nobody's telling you you can't do it. it they basically hyper-focused and got it done. And that's why Steve Jobs was so good at what he did. Benjamin Franklin, Nikolai Tesla, you know, uh, we have so many people in history that I pointed out in the book, but it was shocking, a re revelation to me that many of these people were on the, the spectrum as, of autism. No, I mean, I, mean I, I know that Steve Jobs, he eventually, he actually uh, did not have the money at the beginning, but like he got the money from somebody else, like just as you're saying, like take mm -hmm. money, money, but he also had that innovative spirit. Like there was a certain like creative spirit about him. Like he was basically embodying the American spirit of like innovation and like creating a new product. And then what they did was what those, what the board of directors did was they basically were, I would say anti-American in a way, because they were trying to stiff all that. That's right. right. And I feel like there's like a kind of like a battle in this nation right now between people that have the creative spirit that are trying to do it. And then there's others that, are trying to stifle that creative spirit, that entrepreneurial spirit altogether. And you know, this needs to be encouraged on this side. Yes. And if we start with the children, you know, re remember, children are not biased. They're not prejudiced, not at six years old. Their minds are like sponges. This is the best time to help a child. Not when they turn 18. By the time they turn 18, they already have some negative ideas, positive ideas. You know, they're, they were programmed by society, but a six-year-old, seven-year-old hasn't been programmed yet. So that's the best time to bring out the childlike spirit, the imagination and support the child because our world is built, built their ideas. Yeah, definitely. So Maury, I wanted to ask you uh, regarding your music career and also when you went into the security business, what are the biggest lessons that you learned during your time of entrepreneurship and business? And also what was the biggest challenge you had to face in your entire, in your entire career? Well, what I learned, and it took me a while to learn is everything you do in life takes a specific amount of your time. Now, if you understand time management, you can set up situations where your time and effort can be freed up to do other things. So in most cases, people become a slave to their business. They have no time. They, they work so hard and, and there's no reason why they don't have time other than the fact that they feel that no, they can't hand their job off to somebody. They're not the architect. They're the micromanagement person. They must do everything themselves. Well, what happens is you become a slave and you're now working 60 hour weeks. You're putting strained, uh, uh, you're putting a strain on your family relationship. You're, you're putting a lot of stress on your life. You may have a heart attack because of it. And it has to do with time. You have to look at whatever you're doing and saying, can I make the same amount of money using less of my time? And I know that sounds strange. But in most cases, imagine you, you have a great idea and you're, you have a job, you, you have a, a wonderful job, you, you love it, okay? But you have another idea. 
And you say, how am I ever going to do this idea? I'm spending 50 hours a week doing my job. Well, the thing is, you have to figure out how to spend 30 hours a week doing your job. You have to free up your time. Now, maybe you might have to go to sleep an hour later or wake up an hour earlier. But nevertheless, you have to find time to do things that make you feel good. Sometimes it's exercise. Some people have no time to exercise. Well, guess what? You have to make time. If not, your body's going to fall apart. And when you get older, you're going to have issues. Learned, and it was a, it was a stepping stone for me to learn how to create businesses that don't require as, as of my time. Whether you hand it off to somebody or you just figure out how to do it. My businesses now are 80% reoccurring revenue or passive meaning that I only have to spend 20% of my time to keep those businesses. And when I figured that out, that's when I became a best-selling writer. That's when I started doing all these other things because I recognized, well, now that I have free time, what do I want to do? So my passions came forward and I started doing things that my wife would look at me and go, what are you doing? And, and basically, I'm, I did things that I loved, and other people found that they kind of loved it as well. So they embraced what I was doing, and it just gave me the impetus to go further. Yeah, I noticed one of the common themes in like really successful people is that they are passionate about and they love what they're doing. So it's not really work, as, as you say, it's just they just love doing that naturally, and then they just figure out a way to monetize it. And then uh, that becomes like a business in itself. Mm -hmm. But 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 continuing on this regarding like uh, a lot of Americans, right? They face uh, challenges facing the American. There's a bunch of hurdles. What do you think is the biggest hurdle that Americans face when it comes to realizing their American dream? And what do you think they should do to overcome it? Well, now this this goes back to the mind. The biggest hurdle that most people have is is their fear. If their fear stops them, for some reason, whether they've been trained all their life not to take risks, whether they have been, all their passions have been suppressed, they are afraid. They don't know why they're afraid, but they really don't do things because they're afraid. Now, once you understand that fear is in your mind, you can then break out. And I'm going to give you an example about how fear can be misconstrued. In my garage in my house is four ladders. Now, my wife thought that was really strange because she said, you said, you're, you're afraid of heights. Why do you have four ladders? I said, well, here's, here's what the problem is. When I get on a ladder and at the, I'm at the top of the ladder, I'm afraid. But I realized it wasn't a fear of heights. It was a fear of unstable ladders. I started to buy better ladders fiberglass, heavy-duty ladders. And you know the strange thing was? I climbed that ladder and I was no longer afraid, which meant my fear was wrong. I originally thought I was afraid of fights. That wasn't what I truly was afraid of. I was afraid of the ladder going out from under me. I was afraid of falling because that ladder couldn't hold me. And I, I, my, in my mind, it said, well, because I'm afraid of heights. No wasn't the height at all. The height didn't bother me. It was the ladder. And that's the same thing that people go through in their lives. They set up a fear about something, but
But in reality, if they actually write down paper, what am I afraid of? They can't write it down. It, it was just something set from the time that they were young saying, you shouldn't do this. There's a safety issue. But, but in reality, there was no fear at all. It's just the way that they were brought up. And once your mind understands that, then you can go ahead and do whatever you want. I like, I like uh, this aspect where your mind has a solution-oriented perspective. Okay, I have a fear of this. How do I solve it? You know, And what I notice in today's society is a lot of people have the same issue, but they're like, they blame their circumstances and they blame everything else except for coming back to the main thing, which is, okay, what can I do to fix it? Do I change my environment or do I just basically think and act in a different way? So you see, there's like a shift in perspective versus how most people would think versus how the real American spirit is, which is let's find a solution, you know? When somebody comes to this country, they have to understand about language. They have to understand about systems. So their fear, and I can't imagine it because I was born in this country, but an immigrant coming in, I would think that they'd be afraid of learning the system. They know what they want to do, but they also understand that now I have to learn how to speak English. I have to learn what the processes are. Well, that's not a fear. That's a challenge. And basically, so when they come in and they learn this, it's not because they're afraid. It's a challenge. They will figure it out because that's why they came to America. So they're kind of fearless, you know, because they accepted their challenge and they succeeded. Whereas when you live in America, you don't have that. Basically, you have your parents, your friends, your relatives telling you, don't do that. Well, you, you know, you have a nice life. You have a beautiful family. Why would you want to do something? And take you away from the family. And in reality, that's wrong. They're getting all this negative input. If they had actually a person saying, that's a great idea. How could I help you? All of a sudden, things would change in America. So we need more inspiring type people. No, I totally agree. And, and basically, you know, there's like a continuation of that. Essentially, uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of Americans are feeling like the right now, there's like been a deterioration in the financial sector, and they also feel like there's a deterioration in family, government, and they do not think that uh, America is uh, in any more the light of the hill. But I wanted to ask you, what do you, where do you think America is headed, and are, do you think we should be optimistic about the future? Well, we have to be optimistic, because if we think in a negative sense, only negative things happen. So when people walk around and say, oh my God, the, the world is going, everything's crazy, I, I, can, I don't even want to live anymore. What is that going to do? How is that possibly going to make things better? What we have to say is whatever we're experiencing today is temporary, all right? It's capable of changing. Now, if we want it to change, it will change. If we have a negative feeling about it, everything's gonna go negative. So the only way things can change is us to look and say, wow, Look how far we came. Two years ago, we had COVID. We were stuck in our homes. We couldn't do anything. Now, look at us now. We're going back to restaurants. We're back on airplanes. Isn't that great? See, we take all that stuff for, you know, for granted. Yet two years ago, we were all stuck in our homes. So in reality, is our life really that bad? It was much worse two years ago. We were worried about getting sick. We were 
worry about going to the hospital. That behind us. All right. So when we're looking at the economy and we're looking, well, food costs more money. Okay. You're right. It does. But we will adjust. All right. It's not going to be forever. So we can't look at doom and gloom and say, next month, I won't be able to afford my car. Yes, you will. Just you may have to adjust your lifestyle a little bit, but this is not forever. So we have to look at things in a positive view rather than a negative view if we want things to get better. No, totally. I, I totally agree with you on that. Um, I wanted to I wanted to ask you on a different note. Um, I know that you wrote this book called The Cosmo and uh, you're turning it into a movie. Can you tell the audience a little bit more about, about that? Yes. Um, this ties into me wanting to make things better. The, the book that I wrote originally was based on the movie E.T. And I looked at E.T. and I said, boy, Steven Spielberg is incredible. I love the movie E.T. I don't know if you saw it. Many people have seen it. But, you know, as I watched E.T., I'm thinking to myself, could this be better? I mean, this movie was about an adolescent alien that accidentally was left on Earth. And his sole purpose was to leave Earth and go back home. That's not that really a bad plan, except that could this be changed? So I looked at it saying, what if an alien came to Earth, not to leave Earth, but to make Earth better? So it started out as, as an alien that lived in another galaxy. His world was, his, the sun in his solar system was dying. His world is dying. He's the last one on his planet. And he just figures out a way of putting, turning himself into pure energy and going into a rock-type vessel and, and creating a black hole. He's very smart. And he did these things, and unfortunately, he came to Earth as an enormous asteroid. His little rock had accumulated matter in it when it entered a black hole, and he's now in, he's an asteroid out of control, and he slams into the Earth. He was the reason why the dinosaurs all died off. So I kind of like tied a lot of science with this and here he is waiting 65 million years he's he's in a rock and he's discovered by two teenagers a brother and sister in this little rock they don't know he's in this rock they just see a glowing rock and they bring it home and the rock accidentally gets eaten by their brand new golden retriever puppy <laughs> so i put ET, i put et in a puppy you know, so now I changed the dynamics of E.T. a little bit. And here, this dog is trying to get a handle of the world. It's trying to get a handle of human beings. You know, he just entered this dog. You know, he's the entity inside the dog, and he can't talk, and he can't do much. So he basically is just using the dog as to learn about humans, and he's watching TV. And he's quite disappointed in the human race, you know, because the, the images that he sees on TV isn't exactly show us in the proper mode, if you want to call it that. He doesn't understand TV's part fantasy. He just can't figure out why people are living this way. And they, he's also watching the news and he doesn't understand why we're fighting, why we have nuclear bombs. He's just saying, what's going on with these people? And, you know, as he lives with this family, he starts to learn more about what family, uh, families are about. He starts watching the family rather than the TV. And he realizes, wait, wait a minute, humans are worth saving. And I have to do my best. 
Well, he does a lot of crazy things in the movie. The government finds out thereafter him all the tension that you have in a good movie. And he does this fantastic thing. And at the end of the movie, he disappears. So here you are in the theater watching this, saying, what just happened? You know, you want more. You saw what this kept all doing. And it's like, I, I want more. Is there going to be a sequel? What's going on? The lights come on in the theater. You're told to turn on your phone and enter a code. And when you do that, Osmo, the name of the dog, jumps from the screen onto your phone and goes home with you. We're bringing him to life. This has never been done in the movie industry, ever. And we're using all the technical aspects that you could possibly use to really razzle-dazzle people. Now, the purpose of him coming and going home with people is he wants to get into the lives of all the children around the world. And he wants to get on their level and explain to them the problems of the world because he's very concerned about the world. His, his planet blew up. And he wants to talk to them about pollution, about global warming, about nutrition, about fighting amongst themselves, all the things that he knows that he can help kids with. And the purpose of him doing this is if we can get the children at age six, seven, eight years old, and we can get down and dirty with them and show them what the problems are in a nice way. We don't want to scare them. We want to educate them. Once they learn this, they then will, after a certain amount of years, 30 years, become the leaders of industry, the leaders of the world. They will actually have the seeds of how to fix things that they were brought up with. They had this mentor advising them and helping them and showing them and bringing out their creativity. Well, when they become 35 or 40 years old, they know the world. They won't fight with one another because they, they have been working along with other children all around the world, coming up with ideas and fixing things. They won't pollute because they understand the effect of pollution. They will look at global warming differently. They won't war against themselves. In reality, they can fix the world because we gave them an icon that supported them and brought them out and showed them that everything is fine and I'm going to help you. So that's, that's I'm going to fix the world. That is amazing. That's some extraordinary American stuff right there. Like, wow. Well, you know, we're working on it. Making an impact, you know, a, a positive impact upon the world. Uh, when, is, when is this getting released? Do you have an estimate? Well, package? filming starts soon and it'll take about two years, but it's not just the filming. We have to worry about, I won't say worry, we have our challenges are to be ready with phase two because once the movie comes out, and Cosmo jumps into your life, we have to have that already as well. So I have a team of people working with me. Uh, I've taken a different position in my life doing this. I became what's known as the architect. And as the role of the architect, uh, I have to now, my job is to inspire people, to spark their imagination, to allow them to, to progress, allow them to take over the roles that are necessary for this happen. So I have to stand back. It's almost like teaching those children piano and then standing back and let them play. You know, there's a point where you, if, if I was involved in every little thing of this movie, I'd probably slow it down because I, I, I'd, I'd say, well, can we do this? Can we do that? I actually have to basically stand back and as the architects say, okay, these people have it. 
All they need is my guidance. So that's the new role for me. So I'm kind of excited about it, but it's new territory for me. That's awesome. So, uh, Maury, um, you were mentioning a book that you're gonna that you're gonna release uh, in in the near future. Can you tell the audience a little bit more about that book and uh, what it's about? That book is basically what your show is about. Uh, that book call, is called "Why Some People Can Fly," and what I did is I examined the roles of how we are brought up. What is preventing us? When I say fly, I don't mean just jump off a building. <laughs> you know, I don't mean it in a literal sense, in the figurative sense. Imagine if you were in a maze and you lived a life in a maze. Many people are in a maze. They just don't know it. They, they wake up in the morning, they do whatever they do, and they go to sleep at night, and it's just a routine. They don't realize they're stuck in a maze. It's not unless you give them a ladder and they climb 30 feet in the air and they look down from where they were before and they recognize, wow, I was in a maze. There was an exit door right around that corner, but I never happened to walk down that hallway. In fact, I could even climb over this wall. It's so easy. My perspective is different once I was in this ladder looking down. Well, this book is basically your ladder. The book explains why you think the way you do, why you've been programmed not to be uh, the risk taker. And then I go ahead and show people, individuals that did incredible things and what their thought processes were. And it explains that if you can follow their thought processes, you perhaps could fly. Maybe you won't fly 10,000 feet in the air. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you only have to fly 100 feet in the air. It doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is you don't have your life as a routine doing a job that you like or hate or you just feel trapped. You don't have to be that. You can actually say, I would love to do this. What's necessary? And in the book, I show ideas to people on what's necessary to get them to the next level. And I try to make them fly. That is awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what people need, actually. It's all about education and self-improvement. That is like the, that's like the only long-term way we are ever going to solve any of our problems. And we have to take matters into our own hands. So I love the fact that your this book is going to come out into the future. And I would definitely recommend my audience to read it. I'm actually doing a TED Talks in Wellington, Delaware, in uh, April 29th. And I'm going to, you know, basically talk about like the cliff notes of my book, because, you know, in these TED Talks, they can only be 15 to, to 20 minutes long. So I have to condense everything that's in that book in a 15 minute speech, but I'm looking forward to doing that. And the book will actually explain my processes of how I made it from one point to another to finally making this movie. And, and it'll show talks about fear. It talks about why we do what we do. I even show people when they walk into a supermarket, how they are totally controlled from the time that they walk in to the time that they leave. It has nothing to do with what they want to buy. Once, an example would be uh, most people in America, I guess around the world are right-handed and right-handed people generally move to the right. That's their dominant side. So when they walk into a supermarket, the first place they go is towards the right. 
And that means that the supermarket has to take their most perishable items that won't be any good in a couple of days. They have to make sure that person walks by those perishable items in the hopes that those would be purchased. And that's why the fruits and vegetables and things generally are on the right. And the, when a person buys cold food or frozen food, that normally is in the last aisle. Why? If you would buy frozen food when you first entered the market, you'd be worried about it getting defrosted. So you'd be moving through the market faster because you don't want the ice cream to melt. So they don't want you to buy the ice cream when you first walk in. They want that to be the last product. And when you go to a shelf and you buy your potato chips and the next time you go, the potato chips are on a different shelf, that's done on purpose because they know that you are a creature of habit. So when you go to a specific shelf to buy potato chips, if they're not there, you now are looking at new products that you normally wouldn't see. And then you'd be searching down, looking for your potato chips. So by them moving the potato chips, they cause you to shop. So you don't realize all these factors are coming into play. All you did is you went, you wanted to buy a bag of potato chips and some ice cream. But in reality, you walked out of the supermarket with much, much more. So I, in the book, I show people through my education and marketing, how they are being controlled and they don't even know it. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, Maury. So our show is coming to an end. Uh, where can our, uh, where can our audience connect with you to get to know more about you and all the work that you're doing? Well, there's a couple of ways. Number one, uh, you can go to Facebook under Maury David slash bestselling author. And there's all kinds of things that I have on, on my website talking or M David bestselling author. I'm sorry. Uh, M David bestselling author. And you'll, you'll see everything, including me playing some of the piano songs and teaching people things of that nature. Uh, you can go on Amazon and search M David and you'll see my book. The first book I wrote called the chase and the second book called the ghost of shepherds in the, the Cosmo we haven't released yet because we're going to release that about six. Yes. You can go to LinkedIn, by the way, you can look under Maury David as well. Okay. Awesome. Um, well, uh, well, Maury, uh, thank you so much for coming to the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. And we would love to have you back on the show at a future time. Like you are an extraordinary American and you embody <laughs> the American spirit. Well, actually I want to thank you. Because you are doing a great service. It's people like you that provide the inspiration of perhaps another person that comes to America or a person that lives in America that sees your podcast and go, you know what? I like this guy. I like what he's promoting. So thank you for having me on your show. You're doing a great job. Thank you, Mari. I appreciate it. And uh, I want to conclude this episode by telling my fellow audience that there's an extraordinary within each one of us and it's our duty to awaken and unleash it. Remember that you are an extraordinary American and don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. Bye for now. Take care. Hey there, everyone. Thank you for watching Extraordinary America. If you like what you see, please do subscribe to our podcast and share it with others. Remember that the best investment that you can make in your lifetime is in your own financial education, for it is knowledge that truly sets you free. Also remember that uh, your purchasing power is being diluted through inflation and then the practical thing to do is to protect the loss of your purchasing power by investing in precious metals or the right cryptocurrencies. 
Also, never forget that you are an extraordinary American. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye for now.